So chapter 3 begins a, a transition. Most of Paul's writings, he, he starts with heavy doctrine, he, the teaching of the things of the Lord. And he always gets this tipping point that because of all of this doctrine, it spills over into uh, regular life. I had a friend who planted a church in Phoenix, Arizona, and he named the church Praxis, which is a word that kind of, uh, Praxis means it's like practice distinguished from theory. Like you can have a whole bunch of theory and theology and understanding, and, but how does that work out in your life? And throughout the scriptures, it seems very clear to me that what we understand and know about God matters. But that knowledge isn't just there for the sake of knowledge. That knowledge and information affects our behavior and it changes us. Some have referred to these transition statements or these tipping points within Paul's writing as going from theological to the meddling section. Because God starts meddling with you and stepping on your toes and and, and next week it's going to get worse because we're going to get into like marriage and parents and kids and workplace and how we deal with other people. I don't necessarily like the term meddling. It sounds like God's violating kind of like our own will. God's instructing us on how to live our lives in a way that's not only pleasing to him, but very practical to us and beneficial to us. Paul wants us to begin to see that as we've received Christ as Savior, Andrea pointed over the cross. This isn't the actual cross that Jesus died on, just to be clear. came from Home Depot, I think, or scraps from somebody's backyard. But Jesus on the cross, when he died, as Christians, we identified with that. Identification with things has been a big deal for me in my life. Uh, As a young man going into the Navy and becoming a SEAL, there I don't know that indoctrination is the right, but there's a there's training young men to to understand and work within the culture of the SEAL teams. There were guys that had profound impacts on me through yelling at me and coaching me and encouraging me through that time. One in particular, Instructor Walker, his name was Forrest Walker. He put me through training. He almost broke me multiple times. He encouraged me with his words that got me through Hell Week. And then as I graduated training, he ended up coming to SEAL Team 3 and we served alongside each other. And then we went, when I was an instructor, we served again alongside each other. And so his words were, were, were impactful to me. And he began the process of, listen, when you go to the SEAL teams, it's not about you. It's about this, this organization that we've been like blessed to kind of be a part of. And it's about the reputation. So the reputation of the SEAL teams exceeds your own reputation, even if that means that you need to give your life to save your buddy's life. It's about protecting our country and serving our reputation. This this brings into problems, especially after being out of the culture for 10 years, that when I go down to the, the SWAT team for training after not shooting a gun for 10 years, they say, hey, Gunner, let's shoot. It's Navy SEAL. There's a bunch of Marines, which then there's all kinds of other, you know, pride issues. And so there I am not handling a weapon after 10 years with the pressure of when I pull this gun out of my holster and I pull the trigger on the target, the whole reputation of the SEAL community rests upon me. It's horrible. This morning I wake up to get my coffee. We're exhausted. Andrea's out there. I love coffee people. 
They don't just travel with American coffee. They have their own special Italian coffee, their own special, like, it's like walking into Starbucks. It was like they had all of their stuff. Andrea's like in a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops. He'd already showered. I'm like, dude, are you going to do it? Are you going to come to church in shorts and flip-flops? I'm like giving like the fist up, like, awesome. They won't care. And he looks at me and he's like, brother, I'm Italian. I cannot come to church in shorts and flip-flops. I'll dress down, but Italy's cultural reputation is on the line. I get it. I don't get it. I mean, that's like, when I went there, he tried to get me to wear shorts and flip-flops. I'm like, no, I'll wear Levi's. That's American. You know, we're, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so Paul in this section, as he, the tipping point, as he transitions he wants us to begin to understand that our life is no longer ours. That as we profess Christ, as we've come to him, accepted him as Savior, we look to the cross. And Jesus, as he was beaten going to the cross, as he was mutilated getting there, as they were driving the nails, and as his last breath was breathed, we identify that that should be us on the cross. That every every strife that he bore was my sin, that he was a substitute for me. The context, we begin verse 1, therefore. When we see therefore in the scriptures, we have to ask the question, why is the, why is the therefore, what, wait, what is the therefore, therefore? So the question of this, I, it could be the previous two chapters would be an acceptable answer. That all this doctrine of who Christ is, in some ways, I think that the summary of it, going back to chapter 2, verse 20, just a few lines prior to this, we read, if you've died with Christ, all of us are alive right now. We're breathing. So when you died with Christ, well, I'm alive. No, on the cross, when he died, that by faith, we put our death there, that he was dying on our behalf. And therefore, when I accept him, he died for me. If you have died, and it's really not an if, like, like a question, it's since. Since you died with Christ, these are believers that he's writing to. Since you have died with Christ, you've placed your faith in him, understanding that his work on the cross is for you. If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? And he lists a bunch of these man-made rules. So if you died for with him, chapter 3, verse 1, this therefore... If you've been raised with Christ, the story doesn't end on the cross. The story doesn't end there. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We identify with all of these. Last week, I talked about the significance of baptism, going underwater, symbolizing your old life in Christ, coming up to new life in Christ. And therefore, since, as the NIV translates it, which I think is the better handling of this, Therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is not dead. He's not in the grave. He is alive for the Christian. Every day is Easter. Paul references or alludes to Psalm 110, the great messianic psalm where Christ is at the right hand of the father in power and authority. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Paul begins as he starts in the 
the meddling or helping us live out our lives, he blasts off into outer space. Hold on to your seats. He takes us up to God in, in eternity. Keep your minds up there. Get your chin up. Keep looking. Don't, don't get so bogged down by this world. If you've been raised with Christ, you're up there. Keep seeking. It's in the, the, the present active indicative that this is a continual action. That day in, day out, we're seeking the things above. We're setting our mind, looking for this, this quest of the things above. I love vacations. Don't we all? But the thing, even more than vacations, like going on vacations, like they're fun. But normally, like if a, it doesn't matter. If a vacation is four days, by two days, I'm ready to go home. If it's a week, at three and a half days, I'm ready to go home. If it's two weeks, at a week, I just want to go home. If it's like three weeks, I'm like dying by 10 days. But the thing I love most about them is planning them. If this whole pastoring thing doesn't work out, I'm either going to go be a financial advisor, maybe back to the SEAL teams if they'll still take me, or uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm like enjoying what I'm doing. Or I would love to be a travel agent. Like when, it, our, like when the guest family, when they're heading to Romania, Chris came to me to say, hey, can you start researching ticket prices for me? I'm like, I'd love it. I'm all over the internet. And I'm like, hey, these are your best rates. Like now, how do you feel about airlines? Do you, do you want like a big name airline? Are you okay going from like a Russian airline to like a Siberian airline to a Turkish airline? Like, he's like, he's like, if it's a good price, I trust that God wants us there and he'll get us there and our luggage will catch up. I'm like, amen, brother. Okay. Well, you, he eventually went with somebody else. Like they got a better price through their, their travel agency. But what I love about a vacation, see, watching all the Euro cup and watching Spain, I'm like, Anna, I need to start like mentally planning our next trip to Spain. I don't know. I think the baby's coming. Uh, when can we do this? Maybe three, four, five years. It doesn't matter if it's 20 years away. If I can start planning for it, I'd love it. I get consumed by it. I, I, so this vacation to Spain is coming soon. Like five, six years, three years, I don't know. As soon as we can get there, we're going to go. But, I, but because of this trip, as I'm looking forward to this trip, it affects my behavior today. I declared to Anna yesterday or the day before, Anna, we're homeschooling our kids. And so, so I've decided, because anything worth doing is worth overdoing, I'm going to buy all five sets of Rosetta Homeschool Speak Spanish edition for Spain Spanish. And I'm going to be the teacher. And it's like, huh? I'm like, no, because if I have to teach her the curriculum, then I'll learn it. And you can be our oversight. And I think she said something like, ay, 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 like, what are, but okay, okay. Like, she says, I speak like a gringo, whatever that means. I don't, but because of this trip that's coming somewhere out there, it affects my behavior today. And Paul, in the first four verses, he wants us to see eternity. He wants to see us to see where we are in Christ, that we prepare to know the reality of that day when we'll stand before him, because that reality will affect how we live our life today, because we're living for that day. How do we do this? Like, I'm the worst student in Bible college and class. Like my my only question I ask teachers, why? 
So what? Why? Why do this? Why do we need geometry? Why do we need trigonometry? Some of these questions I haven't found an appropriate answer for, so I just stopped. That's why my math levels stop at 2 plus 2, and uh, you know, I can't keep straight lines with construction. But the, how do we do this? Like, this is so, like, uh, set your minds above. Like, are we to wander around with our heads up in the sky, literally? Like, keep looking to the things above? It might be cliche, or it is cliche, but the reality is there's truth. Most things that are cliche, there's, there's truth behind them. And I believe that the way we do this is that we read our Bibles, that we are immersed in the word on a daily. You don't just come to church and get fed by me. This is, this is just to kind of to prime your pump. It's daily Bible study where you're, where you're in the word and you're saying, Lord, praying. Help me to understand what this is saying. Help me to see how this applies in my life. And then as God begins to show you through his word, his nature, what he wants of you, and you serve and walk in his ways, we begin to know him all the more closely. And then as we get to know him more, it changes how we live because we start to see things through his eyes. Like we, we sang that last song, which is powerful. I kind of more read the words. Give me your eyes. And then there was a bunch of other words. But the give me your eyes. Like help me to see people that are passing by. Don't just make me get annoyed at the two guys going down the freeway who think that they're top gun pilots passing by. Help me to see these guys. Help me to see them through your eyes. Give me your heart. So we're in the word. Verse three, he says, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when we accept Christ, when we look to the cross on what he did, the gospel is the death of Christ, according to scriptures, for payment of your sins, that he was buried for three days and that he rose again. And by placing your faith in him, that he did that for you, you identify yourself with him, that you died, you understand that your life is no longer yours, it's his. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is a hard verse. I mean, it's simple to understand. I mean, it's simple to see what it's saying. When Christ is revealed, kind of skipping those commas. So when Christ is revealed, who's Christ? Well, he's our, he is our life. But when he's revealed... The scriptures tell us, as he ascended into heaven, the angels like, what are you guys looking at? Why are you asking us these questions? Jesus just ascended into heaven. They say, he says that he'll appear in the same way, that he's going to descend from heaven someday. And so when he's revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So this is saying, okay, Christ is our life. One day he's coming back again. He'll be revealed. And for those of us who are in Christ, we're going to be with him in glory. And there are verses like this that, uh, like my brain just seizes. This is the blue screen of death if I was a Windows operating system. No control alt delete will get me out of this seizure. Like I, I realize how little I truly understand. Like when I placed my life in Christ, what I really just thought is I needed some help because my life was a mess. I don't even think I was all worried about the hell thing. I was like, I, I was living hell on earth by the decisions I was making. I needed some like real practical help today. 
But then suddenly in that, as my life began to change and I come to this truth that says he's going to appear and I'm going to be there with him, I have no clue what God's doing. And I realize how little I know about how much he really loves me and what he, his transferring us into this inheritance, what we read in the first few verses that we've been transferred, joyously giving thanks to the father who's rescued us, who's transferred us into the son. Man, like we have like a small sliver of understanding how much God cares about us. And as we look at these first four verses, that's sort of like our, our, our guiding light, our, our anchor. And as we keep Christ in the center of our lives, as we stay focused on him throughout the day, we get to the therefore number two. Well, what's this therefore, therefore? This therefore is there because of these four verses. Because we've been raised with Christ. Our minds are there. We're seeking out the things. Our life is in Christ. When he appears, we're going to be with him. Therefore, because of this, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. I'm going to stop there. He's going to list a number of things. But this word dead, it literally means to kill or to put to death. I'm tired. I get kind of goofy when I get tired. I never know where that line is. I tend to probably cross over the line. But as I was studying this, the cutest image came in my mind. Stink bugs. Stink bugs aren't cute. But my two-year-old, Elizabeth, she is every stink bug's worst nightmare. She can be running around barefoot. No, no, don't worry, Dan. It doesn't go, Dan, like, he's like, hey, my little buddy, I'm going to have to reconsider how I handle her. She'll see a stink bug and she'll take off running, not because she's afraid, but because she has to get her little pink Crocs on. And she said, daddy, daddy, stink bug. Or I think she says ink bug. She gets on her Crocs and she looks back and she just, I'm like, that's my girl. She would crush stink bugs all day long. Put stink bugs to death. And they do stink. If you're not watching her and it's in the house and she doesn't care that there's carpet or like whatever, like she will annihilate stink bugs. No mercy. This is what Paul's talking about. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to these things. He's not talking about killing your body like like hanging yourself on a cross or beating yourself up. It's the inward actions. He says the first thing, immorality, literally fornication, sexual things outside of marriage where God intended this to happen. The actual action. This word in the Greek is porneia, where we get the word pornography from. Put this to death. From porneia, he goes to to impurity, which is a conceptual sort of thought process. This is this is a filthiness of thought. This is this is the thoughts dealing with sexual things. He says, put it to death. Passion used two other times in the New Testament, Romans 126 and 1 Thessalonians 4 5. And this refers to a physical, a sexual, physical action just let loose, reckless, no abandonment. If you read Romans chapter 1, you just see the, 
the snowball of humanity where there's no, like just no barriers. Then evil desire from James 1.15, same word is used, where it's the thought process, where this, this thought is conceived. And then you, you dwell upon that thought, and then that thought grows. And then eventually, as it grows and expands, it turns into actions. It says, kill it like stink bug. That's how I read it. Greed. This is covetousness. Two Greek words put together, more to have. Can you imagine if the United States of America, if everybody just stopped being greedy, stopped coveting, our economy would collapse. I struggle with this just as much as you guys. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that the only reason that we don't have cable at our house is because I would have every as-seen-on-TV thing made. Because two in the morning rolls around. And then you see the whatever. I mean, I have too many things that I've fallen for. One was the, the spine alignment gadget. I've had back problems. They promised 15 minutes a day of just laying on this thing with two things and then a divot for your spine to go. It would straighten out your spine. And you'd, be, you'd feel amazing. And for three easy payments of 1995 plus, they're going to throw in an ergonomic pillow and some other stuff. And I'm like, 60 bucks? Well, one shot to the chiropractor is like 40 bucks. This thing's going to solve all my problems. I'm going to order it. Anna finally made me throw it away. She's like, we're not using this as a doorstop anymore because it doesn't work. Or, or the, the cat trimmer and dog trimmer toenails that you can use. It'll easily... Everybody's bought one. The last service cracked up. You can... Easily shave off your cat and dog's toenails so it won't hit the wick and they'll be in joy. Like, we see this stuff and we think, how in the world have I lived my life this long without that? If I get that, then I'll find peace, joy, contentment. I'll never need anything else again. And we get it. It's a piece of junk. It never works. It doesn't do its part. I like what MacArthur said on greed. Because from greed, look what he says here. For the, when he deals with greed, he lumps on which amounts to idolatry concerning this stuff. How, how is this idolatry? What John MacArthur says, he says, fulfilling your desires instead of God's desires is in essence worshiping yourself and not God. That God says, this is the best way for you to live your life. And we think, ah, Appreciate your input, God, but I really want this, this, whatever it is. And if I get this, then I'll be happier. And so I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to, I'm going to please myself and I'll put your stuff on the back burner. In essence, we're saying, God, my, what I want to do is more important than what you're telling me to do. And the antidote for greed is contentment. Job teaches us the greatest lesson. His whole family, everything he has is wiped out. And he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And there's this picture of we walk through life or we try to walk through life. Like my fingers always kind of go like this. And it's like open, open. And we're not saying that stuff is bad because God could put all kinds of stuff. And we say, thank you, Lord. Like, thank you, Lord. But he can also take it away. And when he starts taking stuff away, we're like, no, give it back. 
All you have to do is watch little kids. You don't even have to train them. Like the seagulls and Nemo, mine, mine, mine. We, we're like that with God. And God can be very gracious and give us stuff. Yesterday, the soccer game, we put Andrea on the field after we had to forfeit. We didn't have enough females. And uh, they smoked us. And I'm like, Andrea, go change. We're calling you in. But before he came on the field, as they were pulling up, we're like, hey, we're trying to find a place. I'm like, well, where are you guys? I'm looking around. And they're like, we're in the Escalade. I'm like, Escalade? Like Cadillac Escalade? He's like, yeah, it's a long story. So after the whole like soccer game, I'm driving home. I'm like, so you're sporting like a brand new Cadillac Escalade. I, uh, I'd offered you my GMC with 189,000 miles on it, brand new transmission, but I'm guessing you're not going to want to borrow that now. And he's like, yeah, we got the Escalade. And he's like, but it's a long story. This lady was in Italy. She was in a tragic accident. A bunch of people started contacting. She's not a believer. He goes, and he's an advocate for her to, to translate the Italian. She's now a believer, but they've obviously they've done quite well. And she's like, well, we have a vehicle that you can use for the whole time. It just sits there. It's a Cadillac Escalade. He's like, great. I got to go around to churches and explain to them that I, we need financial help. And I'm rolling up in an Escalade. She's like, well, if this is unacceptable, we do have the brand new Corvette, but I don't know how you're going to fit the whole family in that. <laughs> and so Andrea is content with this. And a God, if he takes it away, I'm pretty sure, because now we're on record, that he'd be okay with the GMC with 189,000 miles on it. So, But put aside greed. He says, for because of these things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. He, he, there's going to be an accounting for how we live our lives. Now, in Christ, Christ paid the penalty for our sin. As Christians, we're not going to necessarily give an account like for punishment. But I view this as the people who I have the most respect for in my life, those that have invested in my life, those who have kind of set me on course, especially as a young man from the SEAL teams, when I was like, man, I was a troublemaker. And they invested and they helped kind of guide me. And those that are are kind of men of the faith that kind of took me under their wing and like raised me, as I make my decisions, they are like there in my mind, like around me. And it's not that I, as I make decisions, if I want to make a good decision or a bad decision, it's not like, well, if I make a bad decision, I make a mistake, then they're suddenly not going to love me anymore. But I so want to please them because I love them so much and they've been so good to me. And for the Christian, we're going to stand before the Lord one day. And we're going to give an account. And I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, that we would please him. And he says, for it is because of these things, verse 6, that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. Now, for some of us, we say, oh, yeah, maybe you're still there. Maybe you haven't accepted Christ as your savior and God's doing a work and you're still struggling in these areas. Maybe you have some victory in some places in your life. Over the last 15 years, like my life, like, I mean, I got Susan who, wow, Gunner's a Christian. Like, yeah, I'm a pastor, yeah. We're, our friends from high school were like, why didn't we have a Christian club? She's like, we did. I fought for it. We had a Christian club. And it's like, well, I guess I wasn't interested back then, you know. 
Like where I was then, 20 years ago, is far different from where I am now. When I read these passages, in them also once you walked or whatever, I get a amen. Yes, I was there. I was there. But the demographic in the church that I worry most about is our young kids that are raised in this Christian culture. I'm of the righteous ones. I went to church eight days after birth. I took communion at 12. I was baptized at 6. I went to Awanas. I've memorized verses. I was homeschooled. I did this. I did all of this stuff. I was never in that stuff. And being married to a girl who, you know, committed her life to the Lord at like day three, we've had some good conversations. She's going to smack me later. Or she did it with her look already. So I'm going to like look over here, you know. (laughs) But she said something like, we've always had this conversation about, and she said something that was profound to me that helped me with the young people. If you're a young person in this church and you've lived for the Lord and you've walked with him from a young age, you don't have to go do the partying circuit just so you get it like a cool testimony. But when Anna reads verses like this, that she maybe didn't come out of all this stuff, but it's like, you know what? By God's grace, this is what he spared me from because without him, I would be so in all of that stuff. We all. And if you were raised in the Christian environment, you're just as wicked and evil as the rest of all of us. It's only by his grace that he spared you. And if you're really honest with yourself, your sin is, is just as much there. You've just learned how to paint over it and to make yourself look Christian. And so we all are there. We were there. But now this verse eight, but now you also put them aside. He's going to go into this phrase, put them aside. Since you laid aside, put on the new self, put on a heart of compassion, put on love. We're going to see this requirement, this that he's going to actually tell us to do something that the Christian life isn't just about, oh, give your life to Christ and then he'll start working out the pieces like which he will. But there's also no he wants us to actually do like he's required us to like work at kind of following after christ not for salvation so he says put them aside and he lists anger and this is like a an anger that's that's bitterness that's residing that simmers there for years that you've never it doesn't necessarily explode out of you but there's just a bitterness that's deep within that you haven't dealt with then he goes on from bitterness to the explosive wrath that you're short-fused, that at any moment you could explode in violence and anger in any sort of manner with malice, with intent of being hurtful. Let me get back on my notes because some of these have good definitions. And this is one of them. Lightfoot on malice says, this is a vicious nature which is bent on doing evil to others. This word slander in the text is literally the word blasphemy. If it's aimed towards God, it's blasphemy. When it's aimed towards people, the, our translation is defamation of character. That we say things about somebody that's not true. An abusive speech. Who came up with that silly saying? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Anybody agree with that? Don't teach your kids that. James, James tells us that, that we can train the biggest of beasts out there, but we can't harness our tongue. The tongue is the most, most lethal weapon that's out there. 
Be careful with your words, with your friends, with your spouses, with your children. My father-in-law said something very graphic to me that it's like always stuck with me. He probably stole it from somebody else. I'm sure he did. But as we were doing our premarital counseling, I mean borrowed it. That's the Christian word, right? He borrowed it. He borrowed it. Because <laughs> that's defamation. Lord, forgive me for what I just said. You know, I would have said it to him. Man, see? There's a good part coming up for me, which I'm really happy about. And, uh, but our words are like toothpaste. If you take a tube of toothpaste and you squeeze out all of the toothpaste, it's out. There's no getting it back. And our words are the same way. Once you say them, they're out. You can't undo them. And the people that we love and are, are dearest with, like our wives, our children, our siblings, the people we work with. See, the more you know somebody and the deeper in relationship you are, you don't need to use a lot of words. You can just use one word that can just break a bone, that can create so much pain. And he says, don't do this. There's a little skit from some, like, it was like, it wasn't Saturday Night Live, but it was like a Saturday Night Live, and it was Bob Newhart. Love it. I pass this skit around to all my pastor friends for counseling sessions. And this skit is like, he's this, the setting is he's this counselor. And this lady comes to sit at his table. And he's like, okay, this is my deal. My sessions last only five minutes. I don't do second sessions. I don't make change. It's $5 for five minutes, a dollar a minute. If you only have a five and I go two minutes, I don't make change. So the girl's like, okay, this is great. This is all I need. She goes on to say, you know, I have this terrible fear about being buried in a box alive. She gets about a minute into her like paranoia about this. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm good here. And we're, we're, She's like, oh, she gets out her notepad. She begins to like get ready to take notes. He's like, you don't need that. Just two words. Stop it. She's like, stop it? He's like, yeah, it's only three minutes, so $3. She's like, this is unacceptable. You can't just tell me to stop it. I have all this. He's like, we don't go there. Stop it. Just stop doing that. It's, like, it's just as simple as stop doing that. It's this hilarious skit. And all my pastor friends like love it because it's like, yeah, like they're like speaking badly about people. Stop it. Gossiping about people. Stop it. Just don't do this stuff. Put it off. It's your, it's your old self. It's this picture of clothing that, that some of us might have nasty old clothes that we're very comfortable with. I, I, I confess during the last service, it went over. Okay. Only I had a one amen that he was there with me. Weed whacking. I have my weed whacking clothes. I've given up on washing them. They, they sit on the dog kennel. I have my old cami pants. She's taking notes, which war- I kind of like, oh, no, she wrote, like, metal note, don't go into your gunner's dog kennel. <laughs> I have cami pants and my old combat boots and, like, this old, like, long sleeve T-shirt. Like, I go out, I have to, like, kind of shake them out to get, because they're so stiff. And they just have nastiness. I want to check for bugs. And, and I put, and I think they stink. And so I, I, I just go outside, I put them on, and I go do my eight hours of weed whacking. And then when I come back, I just strip them and leave them in that spot. And because I'm not allowed in the house with these clothes. They're, and, and they're not allowed in the washing machine. Like, they're, they're so bad that it's like they're, they're not allowed anywhere. 
And throughout Paul's writing, he, in Ephesians, he talks about our old self like we're putting on these stuff. You laid aside, verse 9, the old self with its evil practices when you came to faith in Christ on the cross. So don't put those on. Put on your new self, verse 10, who is being renewed. And this word renewed literally is renovation, which I like so much better. My father is moving in with us on July 9th, six days before Anna's due date. And so in the crunch time to allow him to move in, like there was like a concrete slab. There's like, there was nothing there. I've run into Ken like seven times in Home Depot. Like, I just got to get through this. Like the baby's coming. We got to get this room ready. But the room today is virtually done. And it looks nothing like it looked two weeks ago. And it's been this process of, of painting, laying flooring, putting in a new toilet, putting in a new sink, scraping the popcorn, not in that order, but all of this stuff that it's been renovated. And that's what God's doing with us. There's this renovation project. I always thought those bumper stickers were cheesy that said, I'm a Christian, like under renovation, God's work is not done. And there's like the orange like symbol like on the thing. Like, that's cheesy, but now it's like, man, they got biblical support because this word is renovation, that we're under construction. And what are we being renovated towards? It says to a true knowledge where Paul, again, is battling for the mind, a true knowledge according to the image of the one that's Christ who created him. So we're being conformed or renovated to being like Christ who created us. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, Mexican, Native American Indian, African, white, Asian. There's no distinction. These are all these are all human distinctions that we've created within people. God sees two people. It says, but Christ is all and in all. On Wednesday night, Christina Fredericks, we were, ch- we were chatting. And she said, it, she said something that was a second time for me. And, and both, like, it's just stuck with me. Like, I, I have the phrase that she said stuck in my head. She, we were talking about, as Christians, would we engage with those who don't necessarily look or act or think or walk like us. She said she, her mom always had a bunch of people with different color hair, tattoos, piercings, all kinds of stuff com- coming in. And as a kid, Christina said, well, it's hard to like, how do, we tr- how do we treat these people? And Christina's mom to Christina said, what you do is you look them in the eye because that's where the soul of a person is. You look them in the eye. And the thought you have, this is one for whom Christ died. Whoa. Because there's only two categories of people in God's eyes. There are those that are in Christ and there are those who are apart from Christ. And for those of us who are Christians who are in Christ, when we look at those who are not in our theological camp, we see them as this is a person who Christ died for. And from this, Paul transitions into the third. Therefore, it's translated so, but in the Greek, it's soon. It's the same. It's therefore, because you've put off your old self. Therefore, as those who have been chosen 
of God, holy. Set apart is what holy means. We've been set apart for a specific purpose by God. We're like a tool in his tool bag to do something. And I don't know what it is that you've been created for, but my my role is to help you to find that calling that you could live out what God has created you for. Holy and beloved. Put on a heart of compassion. So here we see put on again, this heart of compassion. What's compassion? Uh, Daniel's still here. Daniel is my new handyman. He told me not to publish his rates. But in the midst of this renovation in the room, I am not a handyman. I think I've shared that multiple times. If I'm doing handyman stuff, it's because like, I'm too cheap and I just got to do it myself. And so I'm okay with crooked lines. I'm okay with stuff not being plumb. I don't know what the opposite of plumb is, but... But there's certain things I get kind of scared. Electricity scares me. So I'll only fiddle so much with electricity. And I'm sitting there like painting the wall. And I'm trying to do the math of like everything that's got to be done. And all of a sudden, Daniel, I'm like, oh, he's a handyman. I'm like, hey, I demo the bathroom. I don't even know how to demo a bathroom. I have images of like, I'm like, well, I'll go get a sledgehammer and I'll just start <laughs> cracking out. And, I know how to demo stuff from the SEAL teams, but I'm like, man, there's going to be like shards of wood everywhere and I'll probably hit a water line or I don't. And so I call him I'm like, hey, are you available to come demo the bathroom? Which demoing the bathroom, it was, it was taking out a toilet and removing a sink. My plan was going to be ugly. And he came over and he, I guess you could disassemble the stuff as easy as you can assemble. So he just like disassembled. I'm like, yeah, that was pretty awesome. So I'm like, are you still available? Because I got all this. If I can have you do it, it's going to be better for my dad and I don't have to do it. And I can focus on like my real work stuff. And so he's doing all of this great work for me. And I've become his, his boy that runs errands. Go to ACE or A1, get this. I'm like, hold on, let me write this down because I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> and I'm going to have to go talk to the guy. He's, yeah, it was bad. So I'm out on one of these runs down at Home Depot and my cell phone goes off. And Daniel's like, Gunner, hey, uh, where's your water shut off? I'm like, it's right by the house. Like, you've, you've, you've turned off the water a bunch of times. And he's like, no, 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 like the water turn off. Where is the water? I'm like, oh, uh, it's down by the street, by the, by the mailbox. He's like, okay, and he hangs up. And I'm like, oh, man. So I'm imagining my whole house, like from the cartoons, that there's this geyser in my house, is sitting on the geyser. And I'm like, oh, the poor guy, like, he did something really bad. And, and, and. And so then I get back, and the, the tone of his voice, you could tell he like just felt horrible. And I, and I'm like Daniel, it's no big deal. Like, do you need do you need like me to call my other handyman Rick Restivo to come and look at some stuff? And he's like, well, I, I feel competent fixing it. I just, but if it feel if it makes you feel better to have somebody else kind of come check the work, then, then then I'm okay with that. And I'm like, no no no, just fix it. It's it's no big deal. Like, man, I feel bad for you, man, because I've like i've made a ton of mistakes and i hate that feeling like i'm like if i had a whip to loan you you'd probably be out whipping yourself you know to try to like to pay back for how you feel and he's like i'm really thankful for you and anna's like how you're how you're handling this i'm like yeah i gotta preach about compassion on 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 sunday and so like and so what is compassion compassion is seeing a situation and going, well, what are they going through? What do they feel like? And if I was in their shoes, if I was that guy running over, I know I would feel absolutely horrible. 
He doesn't need me to beat him up. It's a, it was like a, what it, did it even cost you anything to fix it? Gas running back. So it was like, it was nothing. And so compassion is being able to put ourselves in other people's situation and go, oh, you know, before I start judging them, before I start critical of them, why don't I try to understand their point of view and, and try to be sympathetic so that I can help them? It doesn't mean tolerance. Tolerance says it doesn't matter what they're doing, then I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to judge them or whatever. But compassion is where are they? And can I come around and try to understand where they're coming from and then basically help them from that spot or, or, or teach them or help, help them along? Which the next few all kind of bore out from compassion. I'm running late because Andrea took so much time. Like this is where I like I, uh, uh, heart of compassion, <laughs> kindness. And nobody speak about the Euro Cup. We're Americans. I know we don't follow football or soccer, but we're on a shutdown. Just, uh, you know, Italy's playing. He didn't visit next week because it's going to be Spain beating up Italy for the championship, you know, <laughs> and he didn't want to be anywhere near me during that. Okay. Kindness. Oh, kindness. I blew it again. Kindness <laughs> comes out of compassion. Humility. Humility is putting others higher. The, the great Christological passage second probably to Colossians chapter one is found in Philippians chapter two. It's the verse that I always get text messages or an email and the person is like, I can tell they're agitated. Pastor, where's that verse that says that one day every knee is going to bow at the name of Jesus? Hey, what's going on? What are you looking for? I know where that verse is, but what, 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 the tone of your voice. Well, I'm trying to witness to my neighbor and they're done listening to me and I'm going to pull out the kryptonite to show them that they will bow. And I'm like, you know, like it's there. It's in Philippians chapter two. But the whole context of that is really you're applying it maybe a little off because in Philippians two, five or six, it says that. Oh, man, I lost it. It was really good. Um, have this attitude in yourselves. Like, so did the Christians. We, the attitude we need to have is like, in Paul's, as he's saying, have this attitude. The attitude that we need to have is like that of our Lord, who on the night which he was betrayed, washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. He humbled himself. It goes on to say that he being God humbled himself and took on the form of a man, that he became man, that he walked a life, and that he died of all places, but on a cross, the most shameful form of execution. Jesus is Lord. He didn't have to come to earth. He didn't have to die on a cross. He chose to. That's great humility. And Paul says, have that attitude. Gentleness and patience, long-suffering, bearing. I love this. Bearing with one another. The church is a family. And in every family, there's that uncle that you just can't stand. Maybe they're just kind of that family member. You know, Thanksgiving rolls around or they just they have a way with words sometimes. But we love them because they're family. (laughs) We're bearing with one another and the church is the same way. Like, I wouldn't hang out with, like, 
let me not, 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 I'm going to say this room, but there's many Christian friends I have that there is no way I would hang out with them if we were just like in our unregenerate form because we're just so different. But suddenly in Christ, I love them, even though they're odd and they act in a way that I wouldn't act and they, they care about stuff I just don't care about. But we bear with one another and forgiving each other, whoever, whoever has a complaint against anyone. And our example is the Lord. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You've been forgiven of so much. I've been forgiven like far more. God has been so merciful and so gracious to me. And he's got a great sense of humor. The fact that I stand here and I have the, the pleasure and honor of sharing and teaching his word on a, on a weekly basis. It's just, he's forgiven me of so much. It says, beyond all of these things, put on love. And the high priestly prayer found in John 17, as Jesus is at the end of the Lord's Supper, as he's heading out to be betrayed, to go to the cross, he prays his final prayer with his disciples. And as he looks forward to the future church, I notice that he doesn't say, I pray that they'll have good worship and that they'll turn into mega churches and that they'll, they will, all of this stuff. What he prays is, I pray that they would be unified, that they, they would have unity because if there's unity, then the world that observes them will know that they're of me and that I am of the Father. They will know God because of their unity. And here I love, like, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love covers a multitude of sins. If I love somebody and they stumble or they do something that irritates me, my love for them is the bond that, that helps us work through it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. We're, we're going to see thankful at least, well, at least one more time. This, this, this mark of a Christian life is thankfulness. That, that opening prayer in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. I love the phrase, joyously giving thanks to the Lord. A few weeks ago, I made you guys say that, joyously giving thanks to the Lord. You can't say joyously giving thanks to the Lord without a smile. He says, joyously giving thanks to the Lord, and he lists that he, that he redeemed you, that he gave you an inheritance, that he transferred you into the light of his son. I loved joyously giving thanks to the Lord. And I love doing it right when Anna's about to fall asleep, when the lights are all dark. Joyously giving thanks to the Lord. She's like, God, I'm 89 months pregnant. The kids are waking up at 7. Will you go to bed? I'm like, but it's just fun to say, joyously giving thanks to the Lord. Like the thankfulness should just bubble out because we recognize what he's done. He says, let the word of Christ, the scriptures richly dwell within you. Well, how is it within you? Because you put it there, because you studied it. With all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. I'm not going to splice all that apart because we're over. I'm actually earlier than the last service. But that last phrase I have circled to God. I'm very particular about the, the, the word music that we sing. I have a preference. 
My preference is that the songs that we sing, and we don't always do it, but that the word, that the songs of the words are aimed towards God, that we sing like, I love you, Lord. We sing other songs. There are other songs that sing about God, which are fine. And I'm, I'm fine with how great is our God. How great thou art is aimed at God. And so I like songs that we can sing as a prayer. And even if we're singing about God, and I hope this distinction is clear in your minds, that even when we're singing about God, their prayers aimed towards God. And he says, whatever you do in word or deed, so whether you speak it or you do it, and do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. I knew there was a third time. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. And as we end, when I look at this, Paul is aiming the Christian to stay steady, to stay focused, to keep your eyes on heaven. Stay focused on that day. Anne and I are competitive. Like, it's not just me. I think sometimes my competitiveness, like, gets a little overbearing. Like, I've been banned from playing a bunch of games with people. I, uh, but we're competitive. Like, in Elle's, like, last few moments, I loved it. Anna couldn't go visit him. At, at, and, and she said, he was like, I think it was within 12 hours of his, of his passing. And she said, you tell Elle that he needs to get well because we need to smack Bobby and you down playing games. And so I went to see Elle. I'm like, hey, Elle. Anna says you got to get well because she thinks that you and her have a chance at beating Bobby and I at sequence. He rips off his mask. He's like, you tell her I'm coming. You know, like, so she's just as competitive as I am. And so we've briefed each other for the day when we find ourselves in the newlywed game. We never get picked. Never get picked for the newlywed game. But we've rehearsed our answers. One of the questions that always comes up is, what is your husband's dream car? So, honey, what is my dream car? So close. 1971 Super Beetle. (laughs) VW Bug. It was my first car. I love this thing. She knows the car, right? Red Bug. It was was more pink because the red had so faded. Stick shift, no power steering. It was so dangerous. The brakes didn't really barely worked. I kind of had to downshift in order to slow down. And I had to start pumping on the brake because the, the sub- solenoid something or other had a leak in it. So you had to like pump it up. But then it's like I'm downshifting, trying to pump up the brakes and shift with, in with the other foot. And then the steering was like pulled hard right. And so I'm like, like doing this number, trying to get ready to, to slow down. I love that car. And I still want a replacement um, someday, but they're getting expensive now. But it took all my energy to follow the rules of staying between the yellow line and the white line. I had, it took everything I had. I had to make sure I, I had enough room with the cars in front of me because I had to really plan my stops well. I had to like keep that left, you know, like turned left so I could stay straight. And I don't know about you, but that's the Christian life for me. If I let my hands off the wheel, man, my flesh is so strong. I'm going into the ditch. I'm going to struggle with 
with desiring what other people have. Andre comes to church. He's like, man, you guys got a church building. It's beautiful. I'm like, dude, you have, you have a professional coffee shop downstairs. You have croissants. No, that's French, I think. My, that's my fake French, French accent. They have croissants and espresso bar. And it's so easy to like desire, to have greed. All of my, my flesh is out of control. And so when I look at this, the key is the Christian in Christ. Like we stay focused on him, those first four verses. And as we're staying focused on him, we realize that we need to take off our old self. Crush your sinful desires like the stink bugs that they are. Put on your new life in Christ. And there's so much tension here, you know, but I don't have time to go on this. But it's like up to this point, Paul's criticizing them for for listening to the man-made rules, the do's and the don'ts. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't give us a bunch of instructions that we're to adhere to. I'm way over. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we come before you and we confess, Lord, that we so often miss the mark. Lord, we... We stumble back into our old ways. We, we, we rely on our flesh even to push us through the Christian life. We can't do it. We are helpless in our own strength. Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is but filthy rags before you. And Father, we thank you that Christ came, that he lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross as our substitute. And Lord, we identify with him on the cross, that on that cross we died. And Father, we come to you and we ask for help. We all have our different struggles. Lord, there was a whole list of a bunch of things in this passage. So Father, we pray that you would help us in this life to put those to death. Lord, help us to open up with each other, Lord, that we would be transparent with our struggles. That we would hold each other up in prayer, that we would walk alongside each other. Father, we desire to put on the new life in Christ. Lord, we desire patience, kindness, goodness. Lord, may the fruit of the Spirit come forth in our life. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.